Hello and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest is Karim Zidane, an investigative journalist covering the intersection of sports, politics and society. His work has appeared in The Guardian, Foreign Policy, Vox Media, Open Democracy, Deadspin and HBO Real Sports, among others. Our conversation today is about Fight Island in the UAE. If you're a fan of mixed martial arts, you'll have heard of it. If not, well, Kareem Zidane is here to tell you all about Fight Island. Kareem, welcome back to the Digest podcast. Oh, Bill, it's such a pleasure to be back on. Looking forward to our discussion today. Well, I am too. Fight Island. It's not really an island, is it? But but where exactly is it? And, and what is it? <laughs> That's a great question, actually. So... In response to the coronavirus pandemic that seized the the world in March 2020, the United Arab Emirates established this 10-mile safe zone for the UFC on Abu Dhabi's Yas Island. So this safe zone served as this bubble of sorts for the UFC to hold mixed martial arts events during COVID-19, especially as lockdowns and mandatory shutdowns were implemented stateside and especially generally around the world. It was also a way for the promotion to allow its international fighters to compete without entering the United States. So what Abu Dhabi did basically was paid a hosting fee to bring the USC over, built the necessary infrastructure and covered expenses such as COVID testing, air travel, accommodations, catering, you know, the hotels, everything. Everything was covered by Abu Dhabi and, and thus you have Fight Island. And, and is this right in, in the city or is it outside the city? Geographically, I'm just trying to put in my mind where exactly it is. Well, it takes place in Yas Island. So I guess it's not technically an, uh, an island. It's about 25 kilometers long. It's a popular leisure location in, in Abu Dhabi. So it's a place that has beaches, has hotels, has events, Formula One events would take place there, etc. So... I guess, theoretically, could count as an island, but it's super easily accessible from Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, that's what they chose to name Fight Island in the end. Now, listen, for those who may not be familiar with the, the sport of mixed martial arts, MMA, what is it? What exactly is it? It's a mixture of what? Martial arts and boxing? So, <laughs> it's a full-contact sport based on striking, grappling, and various types of other ground fighting. So it incorporates techniques from combat sports and martial arts around the world, such as, you know, karate, jiu-jitsu, boxing, kickboxing, amateur wrestling, uh, you name it. It incorporates that wide range of, uh, of martial arts and sports. So the origins of the term mixed martial arts date back to 1993, which is around the same time, shortly, really shortly, uh, right after the founding of the UFC itself. And, and I'm, just, I'm just looking at some of the rules and, and some of the things that you're no longer allowed to do is, for example, eye gouging and biting. But it seems to be a very aggressive and violent uh, a sport. Not the boxing isn't or, or various other martial arts, but, but this one seems to kind of get close to the edge of, uh, of supreme violence. Well, it really doesn't help that that was initially how they promoted the sport when it first came to be. So in 1993, the UFC comes up and its owners at the time, very different to the owners that it has now, at the time wanted to promote it as this sort of no-holds-barred fighting, this sort of, you know, bare-bones, human instincts, this is how we're going to fight, it's like how you're fighting on the street, is suddenly how you're fighting here. The difference is it's in a cage and you get to watch it and pay money for it and it's a form of entertainment. So that's really how they promoted it. 
and now it's uh, it's very well established on the sporting scene. UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship. Just how big a player is the UFC then in in the whole MMA world and indeed in the sporting wider sporting world? So the UFC is basically the biggest MMA promotion in the world, and it's the biggest player in in the sport. Much like the NBA is for basketball, the NFL for American football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was founded in 1993, but really it wasn't until 2005, after being purchased by you know, casino billionaires Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta, that the promotion really took off. In 2005, they started this reality TV show called The Ultimate Fighter. And the first season of The Ultimate Fighter is what really helped the UFC become, sort of break through this barrier that had been placed over this idea that this was a blood sport, and it sort of broke through that barrier into mainstream uh, attention in the United States from there. They have since dominated the market, have bought out multiple other promotions, and carved out the largest share of the pie. They really are the biggest player in the game right now. And I'm just, you know, my mind's eye thinking about this conservative Arab statelet, Abu Dhabi, and this sport, which, as you say, had a wild and, and crazy and very violent beginning. And and there it is. It, it, it lands in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I know that, uh, Kareem, you've done very solid work on sports washing, but, but Fight Island has got to rank up there, really, with one of the most audacious. This link between Abu Dhabi and the UFC, what can you tell about us about it? Because it's been going on for some time, I, I think. Oh, well, absolutely. The UFC has attempted to have a significant relationship with the UAE, I think, for a decade now. The first time they held an event in in, in the UAE was back in 2010. It never really became this consistent partnership. At one point, there was a an organization in, in, in Abu Dhabi that owned Flash Entertainment, I believe, which was state-sponsored, owned 10% share in the UFC. But that fell apart uh, a few years later. So the UFC really has been trying to establish these ties with with the UAE for a long time. In 2018, they finally broke through, built a new deal with with Abu Dhabi and its tourism sector, and decided that they were going to hold annual events there with fighters such as Khabib Nurmagomedov, who was a a UFC superstar before he retired and a lightweight champion. He was from Dagestan, but was a Sunni Muslim, so he was well-represented and well-liked in uh, in the UAE. And they they had him compete there and fight for the title multiple times in the UAE. But really, the turn, the significant turn for sports washing that we've seen really took place after the coronavirus pandemic became sort of our reality in 2020. And it happened with Fight Island. So naturally, the UFC's long-term presence in Abu Dhabi serves as, in many ways, an opportunity. Let's, let's say for, for uh, Abu Dhabi to rehabilitate the UAE's, UAE's image in many different ways. So it's not, it's not unique. This, this whole sports washing strategy is not unique, I have to say, to the UFC. Because, I mean, we've seen examples such as Sheikh Mansour bin, bin Zayed al-Nahyan, who's the half-brother of the president of the UAE. He's also the owner of an Abu, an Abu Dhabi United group that is that has private investments in Manchester City and, you know, New York FC. So they've been involved in football and in a variety of other sports for a very long time. The UFC is just the latest example. And they've used this sports washing tactic in a variety of ways. So in one sense, Fight Island is basically a sales pitch for Abu Dhabi tourism. They plant at one point. I wrote an article. I'm just thinking about this now. But at one point, they, I wrote an article about how they planted a PR guy at the press conferences around journalists, 
just at Fight Island, just to regularly ask fighters about their experience in Abu Dhabi and whether they would come back with their families. So imagine they went to the extent of actually planting somebody that nobody knew. I had journalists sending me messages and people contacting me, telling me there's somebody sitting here asking questions that we've never heard of, won't say what his name is or anything of the sort. So they were quite insidious and subtle about the sports washing so it wasn't necessarily directly in your face and i'll give you another example the ufc has begun promoting something called g42 which is an abu dhabi based artificial intelligence company that was suspected for as a been believed to be and has been investigated as a secret spy tool that was allegedly used to monitor and spy on uae citizens so this spy tool came in the form of a social media app called tutok which the New York Times has reported on extensively if people are interested in reading more about this. Now, this shows the complexity of modern sports washing because the UFC is not necessarily simply uh, creating propaganda shows as we would have expected them to, to really whitewash the UAE's crimes. Instead, what it's doing is it's very subtly promoting the UAE and Abu Dhabi as this tourist location, uh, proving and also uh, giving it the opportunity, the UAE, the opportunity in the platform to prove that it is a mainstay and a world stage player in sports, especially amidst the coronavirus pandemic. And third of all, they're actually being, they're actually using the promotion and the platform to promote spy technology. Like this is probably not just one of the most egregious examples of sports washing, but one of the most complex examples of sports washing that I know of right now. So just walk me through that a little bit, Kareem. So UFC is tied into this uh, device with this, this app that is basically engaged in, uh, in, in spying on, on Abu Dhabi citizens or UAE citizens. Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, has been spotted multiple times, both on Fight Island and elsewhere. Whenever he's on UFC programming, he's wearing a T-shirt now that has that logo for the company, G42. And that's that artificial intelligence company. He's also announced to different uh, outlets, especially outlets in the UAE, that the UFC plans to work with G42 to implement AI technology into the UFC. So they're actively promoting this company and its applications as part of, uh, as as sort of a component within the UFC. It's going to help them improve fighter statistics, get better data on fighters, analyze situations better. That's what they're hoping to use it for. But at the end of the day, what they won't tell you is that the this, this G42 company is also the same company that's behind Totok, which was a tool that has monitored and spied on UAE citizens. So really, the UFC is getting into bed with very, very dark, shady players right now. Mm. Now, you mentioned Dana White. Uh, he runs UFC. You've had some brushes with him. I know uh, he, he's also a big supporter of Donald Trump. Tell us about his views on investigative journalists like yourself. Well, you are absolutely right that he is a big supporter of Donald Trump. And I want to just take a minute to just explain to people how much so, really. Because Dana White has gone so far as to speak at several rallies. He's spoken at the 2016 and the 2020 Republican National Conventions. He's defended Trump's policies on UFC programming. So he's spoken out against Black Lives Matter, calling them looters and rioters. As we know, that's part of Trump's propaganda. He's opposed Colin Kaepernick taking a knee in the NFL. And he's also, as you just mentioned, known for his distaste for journalists. Now, really, this started in 2009. White, at that time, he uploaded... Uh, really now infamous video in which he called an MMA reporter 
her name is Loretta Hunt, a, you know, a expletive, dumb expletive, really. So, it, it, and for her sources, he used a homophobic slur as well when, when responding to an article that she had written. So it was really a disgusting video overall. He was eventually forced to apologize to the LGBTQ plus community for using the homophobic slurs in his rant, but he never apologized to the reporter, Loretta Hunt. She now remains banned from covering UFC events in person. So he's done this to several people. Several people, including myself, have been blacklisted from the promotion. It's specifically because it's investigative journalism that that's exactly what they cannot stand. The UFC views itself as, uh, and, and media in general, as an extension of its PR. Anybody who refuses to stay within that, that and stay within their lane or steps outside of that, you know, that little box of what they can actually report on, well, then the UFC takes action against them generally. And this is stuff that Dana White has pushed and promoted. And to really prove that, he published an anti-media propaganda video in late December, just, so just really a couple of months ago, where he targeted journalists, including myself, for criticizing the promotion's decision to host events during the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, which we had every right to do. At one point in March, when the world was shutting down, Dana White had an event, a UFC event in Brazil. He insisted that the event would be held and there was absolutely no COVID testing done at the time. That is what I was reporting on. Yet instead, he created this video making it seem like we were the enemy of the people, that we were reporting fake news and that we were incorrect. Well, that was simply not the case. When it comes to me, I've been blackballed from attending the UFC for years. I rarely get a response when it comes to sending in requests for comment on investigative stories. It emphasizes and underscores the point that I'm making here, which is that the UFC feels it has total control over its coverage and that we are nothing more than an extension of its PR. So really, you get a sense of an organization that behaves with impunity. Again, I suppose a comfortable match there with Mahmoud bin Zayed and, and Abu Dhabi, uh, a leader mm-hmm. who behaves with, with impunity. In terms of the support that the Abu Dhabi government gives uh, UFC, because it's my understanding that the Department of Culture and Tourism has basically just opened up the bank for the UFC in, in terms of support. It's quite unusual that a, a, a government department would ally themselves so openly and so clearly with a uh, professional sport. Well, it goes to show you that the UAE really absolutely sees uh, significant soft power gains from the UFC, whether it be in terms of uh, tourism. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like paying money for a tr- for a significant marketing campaign. They see attention coming from a new fan base. They see attention being taken away from the main the, the old school main stage players in sports being the western world and now move and shifting towards the middle east east in places like saudi arabia and the united arab emirates they absolutely have the money to afford this you know marketing campaign to improve their tourism they seem to be very keen to maintain this relationship with the ufc as a matter of fact like i said when they signed this deal with the ufc in 2018 it was supposed to be about one event a year They've so far not only had those standard one events a year thing, but since Fight Island has been a thing, June or July 2020 is when it started, they've already been back to Fight Island three different times, and each time it's about a series of three or four events, including pay-per-views. So UAE has, and even Dana White has said this, he now calls the UAE sort of the new mecca of, uh, of combat sports. So that's very significant, considering he always used to see the fight capital of of combat sports is Las Vegas. 
So to him, at least right now, and this, of course, could simply be stroking the egos of the UAE and, and, and the royals there. But he is absolutely convinced at this point that a significant shift is occurring in fight sports where they're going to be far more prominent in the Middle East. And Abu Dhabi and the UAE certainly want a piece of that pie. They don't want to give it all to Saudi. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make because there is a competition going on with Mahmoud bin Salman trying to rev up the tourism sector in in Saudi Arabia and using sport very much as a vehicle there. So a bit of a bit of competition going on there. But you know, UFC it's a it's a sport that you've touched on some of the controversy. But really, you look at as a sport, it is really full of 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 issues and and concerns i'm just wondering if you could you know list some of the some of the more egregious ones that come to mind ah oh, it's you know <laughs> i'll give you a few off the top of my head right now the ufc is involved in an antitrust lawsuit that could fundamentally shift the ufc's poor labor policies not to mention the fact that it underscores exactly how exploitative the ufc truly is the ufc insists that its fighters are independent contractors and not employees which is absolutely ridiculous when you consider that all other major sports out there they are and they are not just employees but they have benefits they have associations protecting them etc the ufc and its fighters have none of that none of that whatsoever and that includes the UFC being able to get away with not giving any of their fighters benefits or health care. Now, this is very, very significant because the UFC, at the end of the day, is a fight sport. These are competitors and athletes going in to fight, to punch each other in the head particularly. And that causes significant brain damage and long-term medical and 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 mental and health costs that fighters and we haven't even had the UFC around long enough for a long enough period to understand these long-term uh, issues that fighters are going to go through with including you know schizophrenia dementia CTE all sorts of brain damage that they're going to face and they get no health care nothing from the UFC and that's part of the reason why the UFC was able to value itself at over four billion dollars now We've already touched on UFC's relationship and open support for Dana White. But I want to talk about another supposed leader that the UFC maintains a relationship with, and that's Ramzan Kadyrov, the Chechen dictator who probably, for for your audience, Bill, would be best known as the person behind the targeted violence and forced disappearances and purges of the Chechnya's LGBTQ plus community. And he's, of course, committed countless of other human rights atrocities that I don't need to list here right now. But Kadyrov himself loves MMA, and he's actually a big part of this sports-washing topic in MMA as well, because he owns his own MMA promotion and fight club in Russia. Now, several of those fighters who represent him are now signed to the UFC. Despite the fact that his promotion and his fight club are actually sanctioned by the United States Treasury Department. So despite actually being sanctioned, the UFC continues to interact with Kadyrov's fighters. As a matter of fact, two of them fought on a UFC event just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so there is no shortage of controversies that the UFC is involved in, to be honest. Do you think that uh, this could somehow come back to bite uh, Abu Dhabi in a way, a uh, sport with, uh, uh, as you say, a very checkered uh, history. Do you think that there is any um, possible reputational damage or do you think it's just clear sailing? Unfortunately, here's where my pessimistic side comes out. Just based on my experience covering the sport for a few years, I would say they are, they are, it's clear sailings for them. And here's why. 
The UFC is still, to some extent, a niche sport. It is not on the mainstream level of, you know, the FIFA, of FIFA, the Olympic Games, uh, NBA, NHL. You get what I'm talking about. So, because it's a niche sport, it still does not get the same amount of attention as other sports do. Now, this factors into a lot of what I'm about to say here. So, it moves on to the next point, really, which is the fact that the UFC is still also viewed as a blood sport in this freak show event. Now... In my personal experience, the UFC fan base in general is, for the most part, really accepting of the UFC's behavior and willfully ignorant in general. So they don't pressure the company to improve its policies or to change its ways in any way. The UFC, and I've mentioned this already earlier, had created a culture of fear for its reporters. So it it threatens to withdraw access if they step out of line. So by manipulating them, the UFC is able to control its own narrative. Therefore, there's less negative reporting on the UFC, especially from standard beat reporters within the sport. So really, the vast majority of media members that cover the sport do not report on anything significantly negative about the promotion. And of course, because the UFC is a niche sport, very few human rights organizations have dedicated resources or articles to targeting the UFC the same way they've targeted the Olympic Games, FIFA, and other and mainstream sports in general for associating with authoritarian regimes, etc. We've seen Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, etc. target the Olympic Games, target all sorts of countries, etc. But I've never yet, I'm yet to see them focus on the UFC despite the UFC's countless examples of sports washing. Now, really, Bill, without this trifecta of fan pressure, media scrutiny, and widespread activism, the UFC will just simply continue to run rampant without a care in the world. And presumably Abu Dhabi will continue to use the UFC as a entertainment and tourism mecca, to use Dana White's words. Absolutely. Seems odd in a way, doesn't it? A um, conservative emirate like Abu Dhabi would embrace such a, well, such a rambunctious sport. I guess that's a polite way to put it. Yeah, such a rambunctious sport. You know, sometimes these strange uh, bedfellows really do make for exceptional business partners, and this might be the example of that. It's a match made in heaven, even though it's it's sad that that has to be said, really, because for the most part, it should be very clear to people, to fans, to, to, to the media, etc., what's happening here. But unfortunately, there are very few journalists covering the topic the way I cover the topic. This is not to sort of promote my work or anything of the sort. I would love to see far more journalists involved in scrutinizing and criticizing the UFC and other sports whenever they interact with authoritarian regimes. Well, indeed, and the UAE, uh, as you've said, has, has, a, has an atrocious human rights record in terms of the way it's imprisoned various uh, human rights activists. Ahmed Mansour is one who comes to mind, uh, sentenced to 10 years, a very distinguished economist, uh, Nasser bin Hayat, human rights lawyer, Mohammed al-Rakin, various issues involving the British academic, uh, Matthew Hedges, who was uh, held for many, many months, treated abysmally. I mean, the list goes on and on, but this doesn't seem to be a problem, certainly not for the UFC. And, and, and as you suggest, with that uh, trifecta missing, then... Um, Presumably, it is clear sailing for Fight Island. Absolutely, I'm. I'm. I hope I, I. I get to see the day when all these entities are held accountable. When the UFC is held accountable for its long-standing relationship to Ramzan Kadyrov, for when it's held accountable for 
its consistent lies to the media, for its treatment of the media, for its treatment of its own athletes, for its relationship with the with the United Arab Emirates. I've been in the sport long enough not to have much expectations, but I still, I hope against hope that one day the UFC is held accountable for all this. Karim, thank you. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, Bill. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was the investigative sports journalist Karim Zidane. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.